Today is the second in a series that we're calling This Is What We Do. Uh, this is running with our, um, cap, our, our stewardship campaign or what we call our generosity campaign this year. And we're talking today about the theme of, of serving, or what it means to serve, what it means to be involved in servanthood. All of these are part of what we're addressing today as our generosity campaign. This is what we do. You know, this is what we do to be the church that God calls us to be. We belong, as we talked about last week, and uh, Andy Nelms had such a wonderful sermon, and we also serve, which is what we're talking about this week. And we serve in the example of our living Lord Jesus Christ. Tom read so beautifully today that scripture text from Luke, the 22nd chapter, but it's a, a text that all of the Gospels embrace and, and tell different aspects of the story. We're familiar with John's broadened aspect of how Jesus washed the disciples' feet in that upper room at that Passover time on the night that Jesus was betrayed and tried. In John's Gospel, we have that act of Jesus picking up a basin and girding himself with a towel and stooping down to wash the disciples' feet, each and every one. And then we have that scene also in John's Gospel where uh, Peter um, objects uh, to Jesus being in at that servant role. And Jesus puts Peter in his place and says, um, unless I wash you, you will not be clean. And, and Jesus wanted to demonstrate to the disciples, uh, both those in that upper room and us today, that our primary call is to love as he loved, as he said, to be involved in service. Luke gives us the words about who Jesus is and who is the greatest. The answer is, to whom is the greatest? Become like the youngest and the leader, like the one who serves. That's what we're called to be. I love the scripture text read today by one of our first graders. It was so beautiful this morning. Uh, and we lift up uh, our first graders who've received their Bibles. And they're reading in all of our different worship venues today. And we remember that, that, that we're called to be like the youngest. Jesus said, unless you can become like a little child. You'll not inherit the kingdom of heaven with that same trust, that same obedience, that same innocence. And to do so with a servant's heart. Luke uplifts Jesus with um, redefining what is greatness and equating it to us being servants. You know, toward the end of his life, it said that Albert Einstein removed the portraits of the scientist's Newton and Maxwell from his wall, and he replaced those portraits with two other portraits, one of Gandhi and one of Schweitzer. When asked why, Albert Einstein said, the time has come to replace the image of success with the image of service. Don't you love that? You know, that's a realization that all of us should be about, is, is to realize that, that success is service. And, and that's what Jesus called to, a successful life, not based on power and control, but on service. The word servant is mentioned 500, more than 500 times in the Bible. 
And here in the scripture lesson today, Jesus says, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules, the leaders, like the one who serves. What is this reversal of values, this alternative lifestyle, this pursuit of discipleship that Jesus wants all of us as his followers to consider, to embrace, to put on Christ in this sense, the role of a servant. Let's take a closer look. You know, the setting of this teaching in the upper room on the night that Jesus was betrayed and was arrested and was tried. Jesus was had just transformed the Jewish Passover meal into a new understanding that now we call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion or the Eucharist. For he took the bread and he broke the bread and he called it his body and he took the cup and prayed over it. And he passed it around to the disciples, uh, this cup of the new covenant in his blood, the new covenant of loving as he had loved us. And the 22nd chapter in Luke's gospel starts with these words, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Wow. You know, sometimes we just miss it, don't we? We're in the presence of the Lord and the Lord is, is, is sharing Passover and transforming it to the Lord's Supper, to the Holy Communion, the broken body and the, and the spilled blood and the disciples are disputing who is the greatest. You know, it is disconcerting to realize that a dozen uh, men who were in the company of Jesus for three years could get it so wrong. And yet oftentimes we're just like they are or were. We get it wrong in the present day. They failed to have a clue that Jesus lived with a different set of values. It wasn't about who's the greatest. It wasn't about uh, who's in power, who's in control. Jesus demonstrated among them it's about the one who serves. You know, sometimes I wonder if we get it any better than did the disciples. You know, we've read, and yet we really don't always live it out. But we know what Jesus has said to us. We, we know what he calls us to, to be servants. Paul calls himself a slave or a, a servant in love with Jesus Christ, a slave being set free who chose to freely devote himself to total allegiance to Jesus Christ. You know, the former astronaut Colonel John B. Irwin was part of the crew that made up a successful moonwalk. And he had a speech after that voyage that I think was quite telling. As I was returning to earth, I realized that I was a servant, not a celebrity. So I am here as God's servant on planet earth to share what I have experienced that others might know the glory of God. You know, here's one who had this amazing feat of walking on the moon, one that the whole country would see as a celebrity. His success would be widely known, and yet his introspection about that whole event led him to his, his faith as his foundation. 
and declaring himself not a celebrity, but a servant. You know, this is an election year. Did y'all know that? You know, we've got uh, presidential and, and all kinds of elections from, uh, from our cities all the way up to our national government. It's an election year, right? How could we not know it? And I was thinking uh, this past week about, about what, what it means to be a successful president. And I was thinking in particular about President Jimmy Carter, who was not seen as highly successful as a president of the United States of America. You know, and though he made strides in brokering peace, the economy was in shambles and the Iran controversy made the country feel very unsuccessful, even embarrassed. And former President Jimmy Carter discovered something different. In 1980, with double-digit inflation and a a hostage situation in Iran, Jimmy Carter found himself unemployed. He lost the presidential election to Ronald Reagan. And the 39th president of the United States could have gone home to write his memoirs and to enjoy the spoils of his days in the White House. But instead, he came home to teach his Sunday school class in his little Baptist church in Plains, Georgia, and to be part of a movement called Habitat for Humanity. He traveled all over the world working for peace and justice, and nowhere is his presence more widely recognized than that week in the summer when he builds a Habitat house to actually work alongside volunteers. And now he does it periodically throughout the year. As you see this picture, this picture was taken of President Carter in October of last year when he was at a Habitat for Humanity site working with his hammer and nails and just the night before he'd taken a spill and he had stitches in his head but it didn't keep him at the age of 95 from being a servant leader, bandages and all. You know, President Carter's success has been most pronounced in his dedication after he left office in power and control in being a servant leader. And most everyone admires him so for that place of leadership. You know, life is not about controlling. You know, you put chick. I'm going to give you an East Texas illustration. You put 10 chickens in a pen and you throw some chicken scratch on the ground. These chickens may not have ever been together before, but in a matter of minutes through skirmishes, they will decide what? A pecking order. And there will be one who's number one and number two and number three, all the way down to the one who's at the end of the pecking order. It's all about hierarchy based on power and control. And Jesus calls us not to be um, like chickens scratching in the dirt and and fighting among one another. He, He calls us to be more than the Gentiles who lord it over others and exercise their authority. But you will not be like that, he said. The one who rules should be as the one who serves. 
Servanthood becomes the central reason for our being. We are born to serve. The psalmist instructs us this way. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are God's people and the sheep of God's pasture. Serve the Lord. Come before his presence with singing. You know, hear the good news. Whatever you do to the least, you do for Christ. Whoever wants to become great must be a servant. Ask not what others can do for you. Ask what you can do for others. Authority is not to be lorded over others. Use use your power to to be a servant, to, to get down on your knees, figuratively speaking, and wash the feet of another as Jesus showed us. Serving the table is more Christ-like than sitting at the table. You know, John Maxwell says effective leaders know that they have to first touch people's hearts before they'll be asked for a hand. You know, servants know that the developed um, credibility with people when they connect to them and to show them that they genuinely want to help. Leaders know how to make this connection. And we are called to be leaders in that sense. To make that connection with others by the way that we we serve others. It's a way of the heart. Servant leadership is a way of the heart. President George W. Bush, who's our neighbor here in Dallas, we have the library, the Bush Library here. We're so proud of it. His success sometimes, too, like Jimmy Carter's, is somewhat questioned concerning the desert wars that that we were in after 9-11 and whether or not we should go on there or not, the economic uh, crash of, of 2008 as he was leaving office. He was definitely one of the most personable of all of our presidents, though we can say that for sure. Many of us have warm feelings about George W. Bush, no matter what your political of persuasion, especially we in Dallas, even though you might not have agreed that uh, he was highly successful as a president. But it's hard to find anyone who does not admire his commitment to wounded warriors. You know, he, 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 he honors those who may have lost limbs or, or eyesight or are wounded in other, other ways in wars that he, in essence, ordered. It's as if he's dedicated his life to making sure that these wounded are lifted up. He's got a book out that, that are his paintings they're very good. Now, uh, these portraits of these wounded warriors. But we've seen him on his mountain bike uh, as he rides beside these wounded warriors and, and on their behalf. 
He models servant leadership. And and, and in that, he is most successful. I thought in this presidential election year, we might ought to look at a couple of servant leaders, one a Democrat, one a Republican, and realize that servanthood is what we're all called to, no matter what our political persuasions. We're called to be that by Christ. Because our last name is Christian and we're sisters and brothers in him. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he rose from the dinner table. He took a towel and basin and he washed the disciples' feet. When he'd finished, he returned to his place and he asked, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. You know, there's a great, somewhat more modern hymn that we have in our hymnal and sing from time to time called Yesu, Yesu. Loving puts us on our knees, it says, serving as though we are slaves. This is the way we should live with you. Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love. Show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Have you thought about it that way? Those we are called to serve are the neighbors we have from God. It's God who put, puts others in our presence, in, in our path, and calls us to serve. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. You know, some service is rendered in secret, isn't it? And some service is rendered in being served. I want you to hear this. You know, Peter protested against Jesus washing his feet. We all know that. And Jesus had to put him in his place. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. It's always easier to give than it is to receive. Uh, Do you get that? Some of us don't receive service very well. Some of us see ourselves as, as, as only in that role of servant. Sometimes we are those who are being served. And then it becomes very important how we receive that service. It's cyclical in that sense. We're called to serve in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're called to receive that service when it's given to us by another. We are not fully qualified to give unless we fully understand how to receive. When we give as we have received, we discover a common bond between the giver and the receiver, right? All of us know that, that we give because we have 
received from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who gave first. And, and how we receive that empowers the way that we give to others. And we receive that love of Christ over and over and over again from others. How do we receive it? Here are some examples of, of, of the way that we may as Christians be called to live with the values that Christ calls us to and to receive as Christ would have us receive. How about waiters and waitresses? They've had a hard time lately. As our restaurants and cafes have been closed and, and, and the capacity has been reduced, it's now starting to, uh, to build back up a little bit. But, uh, you know, they've had a tough time. Treat them respectfully when they ask for your order. And tip them generously when they've served you and you've received that service. What about groundspeople who have families who are trying, they're trying to make a living, trying to take care of their families? Don't you think they appreciate it when we acknowledge what they're doing for us and not take it for granted and offer a thank you for all you do? How about checkers at the grocery store who are serving you? How about treating the checker at the grocery store with a word of kindness? I mean, it's you and somebody coming after you and somebody coming after, after them. And it's not an easy job, but it's so necessary. And how about a word of kindness? How about custodians who clean where we work and people in maintenance departments? You know, a thank you goes a long way. What could we do without these who serve us by their very work? We should receive it as if it is coming from Jesus. A kind hello would be helpful. Why is it necessary to remind us of this? You know, when I've engaged um, people in places of service with warmth and kindness and a Christian spirit, it, it makes me feel different. It makes me understand the power of servanthood. You know, we have thank you notes to write, don't we? Acknowledgements to make. Affirmations to extend. And when we do so, we're receiving that gift of service. And we're returning a response that is godly. Some service is rendered in altering our lifestyles. Friends, I want to close by pointing to our country this past week who lost a, an American hero in one of our, chief, uh, in one of our justices. Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was, was renowned for the way that she served the court and in essence you and, and me and, and yet it's been troubling uh, to see both parties our politicians uh, more concerned about power and control and pecking order 
than they are about uplifting one among us who served. This should be a check on all of us. This should be something that we stand for. This should be something that is akin to the the dignity that is part of the Christian values that we understand in the way that we treat other people, the way that we act, the way that we demonstrate one to another and to an entire world. That servanthood spirit that we value. Don't let power and control and the pecking order stuff that's going on before us in politics keep us from doing what is right and showing our appreciation for what is received. Henry Nowen was a tenured professor at Yale University when he wrote, I felt I needed something else because my spiritual life was not deep. I'm just a fragile person and I knew I wasn't rooted deeply enough in Christ. I wanted something more, said Nowen. So Henry Nowen moved to a small community in Richmond Hill, Ontario. And he became a pastor to a group of mentally disabled kids. Many people thought Henry had lost his mind. Instead, Henry had found his soul. He found his soul in serving. He found his soul in receiving what those disabled children had to give. In becoming a servant, there was satisfaction and peace for him. And there is for us too. In conclusion, I'd like for us to close in prayer. And I'm going to use the prayer of St. Ignatius from Loyola. And, and this prayer, I hope that you will hear it as a prayer of our souls. Reaching out to the God who first gave us and gave us the example of servant. We are called to receive that example and to live it out. In the way we treat others. Let us pray. Teach us, good Lord, to serve you. To serve as you deserve. To give and not count the cost. To to fight and not heed the wounds. To toil and not to seek for rest. To labor and not to ask for any reward. Save that of knowing that we do your will. Remember, we never stand taller than when we stoop to serve. Amen.